State Rep. Joel Jones is going to spend the next two years on probation as part of a plea deal for drunk driving. But before he was sentenced, prosecutors put on a full court press asking the judge for jail time in the case. Sean Lay was in Howell for today's sentencing. Here's the very latest from what happened inside of court here today. Prosecutors urging the judge to give Joel Jones jail time. Two state troopers who fought with Jones on the side of the highway also urging the judge to sentence Jones to jail. That judge having the final say saying additional jail time in this case was not necessary. And I think Judge Hattie really hit the nail on the head today when he said, you know, brains are still developing, um, mistakes still happen. Um, it's really a launch pad with your youth, so I would like to do more to help out with some of our young people that might find themselves in this situation. Joel Jones says he wants to help others after avoiding jail time in court today, but not without a fight. Prosecutors say Jones has taken no responsibility for his actions and should do jail time for DUI, fighting with police, and sneaking a handcuff key into jail. And as someone who writes our laws, he should not be above our laws. But after pleading guilty to two felonies and a list of misdemeanors, Judge Hattie told Jones he believes Jones is on the right track and ruled no additional jail time for him. He's got a bright future going forward. Uh, what, what happened at that roadside, the way you were acting, I wrote it all off to being drunk. The judge likes that Jones is spending time with his pastor, telling the pastor to keep Jones on the right track. We've got him, no problem. I asked Jones what his final words were for the troopers he fought with. They were offended. Jones accused them of mistreating him. Jones' response, the African-American trooper who recommended jail time for Jones disappointed him. It was Trooper Harden, and, and that kind of uh, hurt my heart a bit to have another, uh, another brother uh, want to see something, uh, you know, wanted to see me behind bars. But you know how we do it. We have to go ahead and get some introductions before we start the party. So I'm going to start with Miss Jada. Go ahead and say hey. Okay. You, Jada? Hey, you. guys. <laughs> hey, guys. My name, is Jada. My name is Jada. I am a homeschool junior in the Sacramento area. And it is so glad to be back. Yay, Melissa. Say what's up. Hi everyone, my name is Melissa and I'm a 15 year old sophomore in the Southern California area. Perfect, Mr. Sam. Hello, my name is Samuel, I'm in fifth grade, I'm 11 and I like chocolate chip cookies. Okay, <laughs> Anaya say hey. Hey everyone, I'm Anaya and I'm currently a junior in high school. Now, I know that you see two other young people on your screen right now. Let's go to our returning co-host, Miss Janice. Say hello to the people. Hi, everybody. I missed you all. I'm Janice. I live in the Sacramento region, and I'm a sophomore in high school. Well, welcome back. And the, the veteran of the crew, they don't know you, Yvette Sydney, but I do. So go ahead and introduce yourself. Hello, everybody. My name's Sydney. I am a homeschool senior in high school, and yeah. Oh, I live in the Stockton area. Yeah. Okay. Well, welcome, y'all, because you got you know we got to get into it. Hey, Miss Lisa. <laughs> you know we got to get into it because we have a very special guest with us today. He's someone that we all know and love, and I, I don't think he needs an introduction, but he might want to introduce himself. Um, let's go ahead and add him to the screen. What's up, Jewel? <laughs> hey, hey, family. How we doing? We're great. How are you? I'm fantastic. Happy to be alive. Happy to be alive. 
That's what's up. So go ahead and introduce yourself for folks who may not know you uh, so, like we do. I got you. I got you. So my name is Joel Jones, a state representative out here in this great state of Michigan. Um, I am not in high school. Um, I guess I am in college, almost graduating. Got a few more courses left. And I'm also a state representative, like I said. I'll be terming out and retiring at the end of this year, actually. Um, you got but, nerve to say you retiring somewhere. Yeah, okay. At 27. Yeah. Look at you, ripe old age of 27. Yeah, so now look, we met you when you were, I want to say 20 or 21. Um, right. You were uh, transfer transitioning over from the city council to state rep, right? Right, right. And so, um, you know, how was that transition? Like, did, was it what you expected it to be? Was it a little different? Like, can you, can you talk to us about that? Yeah, you know, it was it was an interesting time. You know, city council was part time. It was local with some of my folks. Um, it was at the time I was a sophomore in college, actually, when I was getting ready to make that transition uh, from the city council to the to the legislature. And so, you know, I had a lot of different stuff on my plates, but it was easy because it was, you know, where I grew up at. I knew everybody. Um, I was representing twenty five, you know, thousand people um, when the state legislature piece came about. Um, I got back in town and kind of almost fell in my lap you know i got a call that my state rep had passed away and they're like man we want you to be the democratic nominee so as soon as i got back home my name was already on the ballot and i was just running for office and so um it wasn't really a lot of expectations i was kind of just excited and hungry to get involved um and and it was a it was a smooth transition because we had the support you know a lot of people had a great village so um it, it, it was a smooth journey Okay. And so um, just before Jada, before you go, I have one more because you were a history making uh, uh, rep in uh, legislature out there. Yeah. So can you tell us exactly you were the first to do what now? So uh, actually in Michigan, I was the youngest, youngest. Uh, youngest state representative ever in the state of Michigan. And then also at that time, um, I was the youngest legislator, uh, legislator in general in the, in the whole country. Um, and then uh, we had our wonderful brother, Kalen Haywood, come by in Wisconsin, and he got to grab the title. So we was very supportive of him. But, yeah, I was the youngest before, and I'm still the youngest in Michigan, actually, and I'm getting old. So I'm waiting on the next young person to step up. You know? I'm so sick of you with that old stuff. <laughs> Jada, you said you had a question. Yeah, I, I just – it's really simple. Um, I get nervous a lot when it comes to, like, being put in, like, really heavy positions. Was it nerve-wracking at all, being at such a young age, having this high expectation? Did you worry about people looking down on you a certain way, especially older people? Uh, not not really. You know, uh, growing up, like, in, in my church, kind of where I grew up with my parents, they had me doing a lot of stuff since I was younger. So, uh, and even on the city council campaign and some stuff before that, people were always coming at us about our age, saying we was too young, we was too this, we was too that. And so, you know, I got a lot of it early on, so... When the when the time came for me really just get thrown into some some different positions, it was pretty smooth. You know, people gonna always talk. You know, and, and one thing about it, the future is always in the young people's hands. So you know, I was really bold and ambitious, and I had a solid team of people, a lot of other young people too around me. So we wasn't taking no mess from anybody. We was doing the same work they were doing, uh, and we showed up. So it wasn't nervous at all. It was it was very exciting. Uh, very, uh, it was a great time. It was a great time to be alive. Quick question. Um, I'm curious about how nice to meet you. Actually, I'm Denise. I'm Mr. Jones. Um, I was wondering how was campaigning for you, especially being like so young and you telling me how like you how, telling us how the, the opportunity just came to you. Like, how was campaigning? Because I know sometimes with politics, especially in places like maybe Detroit or like kind of 
politics are crazy and they're dirty and they don't play fair. So I'm curious, how was campaigning for you? You know, for me, I, I never really had, when I worked on other people's campaigns, I seen a lot of mud slinging. I seen a lot of dirty tricks and stuff. Uh, for me though, I was fortunate to, it was really a, a smooth process, you know, on city council, I ran against just one other brother. Um, he actually was someone, he was, he was in his thirties. He had moved to our city. He had been there for about 12, 15 years, something like that. Um, and then we had a write-in candidate. It was all love. You know, it was just two brothers running against each other. When I ran for state rep, um, before I even got back home, like I said, I became, my name was already on the ballot when I got back. So uh, unbeknownst to me, it was this whole panel, this community panel. Of folks. So a lot of people got a bad taste in their mouth about me uh, because I just basically came back home into the, into the sea. And I just had to run against her. Who's running on like lowering the cigarette tax? It was something crazy that nobody was concerned about. So I didn't have a problem with him. The next couple campaigns um, were pretty easy too. It's, it's, it's always it's always been all love because I've tried to really be diplomatic in my campaigning strategy. You know, it's like cool, and I appreciate everybody getting involved for whatever reason. But you know, you can run because it's. This is what it's all about. You know, everybody gets a chance to run, um, but but it's all about dollars and doors. And so we really had a, a tight pulse on the community. Um, so I didn't have to take everybody's money to try to spend it on stuff. You know, we were having cookouts and stuff, reaching the people, meeting them where they're at. And it was a smooth, smooth process for us. So I have a question. How and why did you get into politics? So how did you get into politics and why did you get into politics? So how I got into politics, I think it was a long time ago. Um, like I said, my parents always dragged me around. I was a little guy. I was like a poster child for like, we have something called the Black Caucus in Michigan, where we had some very notable black leadership here um, doing community projects, community service, a lot of political things. I used to go around and knock on doors with flyers and go to different events. Um, and so I got started a long time ago. Um, so really, why? Because my parents made me involved, you know. I mean, as I got older, I want, you know, I wanted to die before, before all this politics stuff came up. And I share this with people all the time, but on my road to being a spy, and I was networking with these people, um, I got a chance to go to D.C. and I, I seen all these black and brown people out there doing great things. And I was like, you know, man, this could be me. You know, I, I could do this back home. Uh, and it was a lot of young people, too. And so when I that was when I was like 18. So that just sparked me even more. You know, it gave me some extra fuel, some extra juice um, to say I want to take this to the next level. And that's when I really started getting involved, like running for office. Well, I think that that's awesome to hear kind of like the genesis of how things started, because we're we're going to be talking about what's been going on. Um, because I know that there's a lot of uh, stories going around, and I believe in coming and getting the information from the horse's mouth, no pun intended. So <laughs> when we're talking about, you know, the expectations that folks put on you at such a young age, and then you turn around and you do things that folks your age do, how um, the judgment of, of those perfect people out in society tend to want to, for lack of a better word, uh, crucify you in, in the public. So um, the opening video, it talked about how, you know, you're going to be, spend the next two years on probation. 
So if you're comfortable, can you talk about how this incident unfolded or how it transpired? What was going on and how did we get to where we are right now? Right. Of course. You know, I don't mind talking about none of that. So, I mean, quite, quite frankly, what happened was I think a whole situation got blown out of proportion about a year ago, um, last April, um, trying to help a friend out. And in the midst of me doing some of that, kind of got a little loud with some folks, you know, um, and got loud with some people that happened to come up to where me and my friend were. Um, and, you know, they said they wanted to give her some kind of help, some kind of services. And in the midst of all of that, I was trying to tell them, you know, she's fine. She, you know, she she was a little uh, intoxicated. She's just throwing up and stuff like that. Um, and and they did some things that I was a little uncomfortable with. So, of course, me being me, I had to go ahead and I like holding people accountable. I'm all about on the spot correction. So I went ahead and let them know, OK, I'm, I don't do your job, but this is what I would do if I was doing your job, especially uh, while I'm standing right here, seeing what y'all doing and how y'all handling this young lady. Um, and I believe in some form or fashion, um, you know, it was a, it was a few, uh, it, was a, it was like a smaller white guy and a larger white guy. Maybe they got a little startled, a little scared, um, which is something they mentioned when I heard some dash cam video. One of the guys was like, well, he's a, you know, he's kind of a large guy, you know, I'm not really that big, um, but all of that happened. And then the police pulled up, you know, state troopers pull up. I already don't really like the police um, that that much. You know, because a lot of times they'd be on edge about different things. And so, you know, he pulls up. We have a conversation. Um, I'm very respectful. Listen to him the entire time. Next thing you know, the brother grabbed my hand. This other brother showed up behind my back, jumped on me. Um, they taking me down to the ground. After probably like the second or third time I got tased, I started cussing these people out, you know, saying different things that we probably shouldn't be saying. But, you know, they had took me there. You know, I didn't put my hands on nobody even though I, you know, I could, um, but I didn't. And so next thing I know, uh, it's a whole swarm of police uh, from different agencies. Um, I'm getting put into the back of the car. This probably like 45 minutes after, after the whole situation had um, began to unravel. My friend's still in the back of the EMS. Um, they're not really doing anything to her. Um, then I wind up in jail. I go to jail. I'm not able to get any phone calls, nothing like that. Um, the whole day I've been trying to ask, can I get a phone call or something? Next morning, I get released with no charges. Um, but I hear about this news story. Out. They said I got in a crash, said I was fighting with police. Um, and I was just instructed just to be quiet about a lot of stuff. You know, some, some of my advisors and my counselors said, just be quiet. We're going to get this taken care of, get it wrapped up. Maybe there's some kind of misunderstanding. But those stories just sprouted out of control. Um, you know, I didn't really say nothing about it. I tried to listen to the counsel. Um, of those around me and it just became a, a huge big thing you know it was like me bucking with the police um, and i had some other encounters during that during that time with other uh, law enforcement agencies also um mm -hmm. you know just saying hey we recognize you from that situation so it was it was kind of like a me versus all the police of america kind of thing you know it's like i just had a, a bigger target on my back um okay. and so then eventually uh end up they, they got me up on some things that I, I said I agreed to. I went and sat down for a couple months um, in jail for about 60 days even. It was actually quite ironic. The week before I got out, it's a TV show called 60 Days In, um, where like people sign up to go to jail for some reason, a county jail. Um, mm -hmm. And right on my 60th day, I got out. So, you know, I just took that as a blessing. Um, when I got out, I um, had a whole bunch of conditions, restrictions on me. 
I did everything they said, you know, they wanted me to do. And then last Thursday, when they was trying to hang me in court, the judge was like, you know, I, I think the brother's cool. You got a great future ahead of you. Um, go ahead and get out of here, do everything you're supposed to be doing. So I know the prosecutor and them punching the air right now, but we back handling business. I'm back in my district. I'm glad to be around my family again. Um, so things are great. And I'm hoping that we can talk about this. So I'm going to share my screen right now. Mm -hmm. Wait, let's see if it lets me share my screen because I have these pictures um, and I kind of want you to talk to us about them. And I'm hoping that this thing will stop tripping and let me share it. And it says I lost my permission to share screen. Anyway, so I have these pictures of you and they are, it looks like, and I don't want to assume, um, it looks like you suffered some chemical burns. Oh yeah, yeah, some heavy chemical burns. Um, and it looks like your face was kind of uh, battered and bruised. Do you want to kind of talk about that? Yeah, it was just, um, you know, in the midst of everything that was happening. Um, and I, I wish a lot of times that, you know, I might just have to do a play by play one of these days with, with the with the video off the dash cams. But uh, at some point in time, because I was kind of confused with what all, you know, what all was going on um, by the time I was on the ground. You know, I'm really trying to negotiate with these folks because I, I really have I would. It's kind of like something inside of me or something in the back of my head. I just don't like being in cuffs, you know, like it does something to me. Um, I don't like I don't like being in situations where I feel like I can't get out. And so, you know, by the time, you know, when I'm talking to the when I'm talking to the guys, I felt kind of contained. But it was, you know, we were fine. We were still having a conversation. By the time I got on the ground, felt a little like, you know, I'm not really sure what direction these guys going in. Um, it was a, it was a black officer. It was a white officer at the time, the first two. And it I, the funny thing is the black one's the one who did all of this stuff to me, right? And so um, I'm on the ground. They're just trying to get my other arm. I'm asking them, you know, like what all is going on the whole time. They're not saying that to me. They just started off rip yelling, uh, you know, stop resisting. And I'm, what am I resisting, you know? So I'm, I'm trying to ask these questions and stuff. I'm not getting no responses. So I just tucked my arm. I held my arm because I didn't want to get put in cuffs, you know, without really knowing what all is going on. So I'm just sitting right there. Um, they they did a drive stun behind my ear but it tased me in the back of my head and that didn't do nothing um and i'm not sure it was just off of you know i was just off the adrenaline of the whole situation tased me again in my back that didn't do nothing tased me again in my back a, a third time that didn't do nothing um so then he dumped a can of spray uh kind of a mace in my eyes that still didn't do nothing and in the videos you can see me i'm just coughing like profusely on the ground the dude's on my back you can see him going up and down because um, I'm coughing like heavy. And then eventually they got some more officers there. Finally, we're able to recover my arm, put me in the cuffs. Um, and so that just kind of like laid the foundation of what happened to my face, you know, because they were dragging my face through the grass after I got sprayed and stuff. And so I get to the jail. And like I said, it's 45 minutes. I would probably say that we were on the scene. Uh, then when I got to the jail, my eyes were closed the entire time. I finally got there. I flushed my eyes out with toilet water because that was the only thing. And I ain't never really been in the jail cell before. Um, so all I could, I'm feeling around, uh, felt the toilet, some water in there, rinsed my eyes out a little bit. Um, finally opened my eyes. When I seen my face for the first time, it was really just like swollen, like red. And when I got out, I had like these black eyes, like these black burns under my eyes. 
And then like after the next couple of days kept going, it's like it just like something like just burst on my face. And my whole face was like breaking out. I looked like the rock man off of Fantastic Four. You feel me? Like my face was like falling apart literally. I was in the hospital and at the pharmacy, probably the most I've ever been in my life. You know, like every day on the phone, my doctor. Um, and so all of that came from, you know, the spray and getting dragged through like gravel and dirt. Cause I've been sprayed before when I did my police training, you know, um, and never reacted like that. So mm-hmm. it, w- it was an interesting situation, but like I said, you know, it's all, everything happened exactly how it's supposed to. So, you know, I just had to get out of the situation, what I needed to for me. Um, and I forgave them cats, you know. Well, we'll uh, get to that because I, I think I'm, I'm <laughs> going to ask about how you went about um, forgiving folks. But what I want to okay. talk about is um, you were a reserve police officer, right? Auxiliary right? officer, yes, that's right. Okay, so you were part of the law enforcement community. Do you think that you were treated as part of the community or as someone they were trying to make an example out of? No, I would I would probably say definitely not a member of law enforcement because you know, I don't disclose any of that when I get pulled over. So I, I mean, they just really treat me. I would probably say just a, uh, as a, a typical you know, typical black man, you know, out there. And it's just funny to say that because one of the officers was black, you know. But I, I do realize there's a stigma even with black police officers when they encounter their own people. Um, and sometimes they show out for their partners, you know, so I'm not exactly sure what all, how exactly they were treating me, but I didn't disclose anything. I'm actually scared to tell people, you know, I'm a state rep or I'm a police officer, I'm in the National Guard, because I feel like then it comes across as me trying to say, you know, whatever I'm doing, you should just leave it alone. And I don't ever want to be in a situation like that. So I can't tell you exactly how they treated me, but they definitely treated me like I was some sort of aggressor or something. Mm. And so um, I don't know how if you guys have seen the videos, but there were some there was some talk even in uh, court where they said that you were name dropping. Now, first of all, that is not anything that is uh, out of the ordinary for politicians to do. Um, A lot of times when folks want to get out of a bad situation, they will tell you who they know. Um, Any idea why they looked at it as something that you like they were they were putting it up there like oh he came in here and he thought he was big and bad we had to put him in his place um any idea in your mind why that was looked at as a negative thing when let me be just be clear white folks do it all the time so any idea why it was looked at as a negative thing when you when you did it well you know i think it just it just really fed into the story like i said you know they they really strategize on this whole this whole machination, this whole plot or scheme. Cause like I said, I didn't get a call. I couldn't call nobody and talk to nobody for like a whole day. So, you know, they had to go and you can listen to the dash cam, you know, the supervisor come on scene, get everybody together. So they're putting this whole thing together, piecing it together. And so, um, although everything that they, they, you know, everything they said, that I said, I said it, I didn't do everything that they said that I did, but because of the way that they tied it together so beautifully, that's how it seemed to go. So the name dropping thing just became a piece of it. You know, it, it, it was something that's, you know, when you're dealing with the media, you need something that'll hook people on that's that's catchy. Um, and then you got to think about, you know, elections are coming up, different things like that. Uh, it's very political. And so I would I would ima- I would probably say that they added in just because it fit the narrative that they were trying to paint of what happened. You know, that I I, I crashed a car. Uh, got into an accident, 
I was fighting police. And then I wanted to get out of it by saying, hey, I know the governor or I know the director of the state police. Um, and, and it just kind of fit into the narrative they were trying to paint. Um, so I think that's kind of because like you said, it's it's not unusual to say it. But same way, I don't I don't name drop myself or, or show my own credentials. I don't typically do that. So once again, I didn't start saying about nobody I knew until after I started getting tased and maced, you know, through in the back of police cars, um, stuff like that. So um, I really only said it when I felt like I needed some extra, I needed some help for real, you know? Yeah. And it looks like Anaya, you have a question that you want to ask? Yes. So you mentioned about how you forgive the, you forgave the police officers. Who I thought you were not talking about forgiving them yet. No, we ain't no. Yeah. But I'm going to, okay. it's related to that. So that made me think like, what, if the police officer said anything to you after the incident, what did they say? Like, what, did you have any more encounters with them? Um, positive or negative. Yeah. Right. You know, I haven't. And that's something I actually, you know, I think more, I think problems exist in the absence of conversation, you know, and so I would have loved to have some more conversation with them. Uh, but the only time I seen him was at court. You know, that's the, the, the first time I got, got back out and we had a court date. I seen him there. They got on the stand. Um, I seen him at another hearing. They got on the stand again. Really, the, the brother couldn't even look at me in my eyes. And then when the, the white trooper looking at me, you know, he looking all sad and remorseful. But it's like, you know, he got it. He wrote it down on paper. You got to stick to what you say at this point, you know. So um, I didn't really get a chance to talk to him after that. I really only got a chance to make eye contact. And that was with the white trooper. I really wish I'd have had a chance to talk to the brother because um, I think there's some internal conversation that should have been had um, just as men. But um, uh oh, so what are y'all doing? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it, Denise, are you able to share your screen? If you're able to share it, go ahead and put those up in. Samuel, I think you had a question or two. And then Sydney, I know you have some. So Janice, are you able to share? If you're not, we'll go to Samuel. And he get matter of fact, let's go to Sam anyway. And if you can pull it up, we'll we'll look at it. Go ahead, Sam. Okay. Uh so my question is, would you do anything wrong if you were into this situation again? Not saying that you like would you do something different, I should say. Would you do something different in if you were in this situation? Again, not saying that uh, you you had wrong in it. I'm just asking right. a general question. Yeah, yeah. You know what I what I would do different is I probably would have stuck with my first mind. You know, I think a lot of times we find ourselves in a situation like this, and I'm getting all kind of cause since this has happened, and especially since we've gotten through um, the case and whatnot from other people that's experienced similar situations. You know, I immediately wanted to get out of jail and air like a. A, a statement, you know, I apologize for whatever part I took in it, and I was ready to go ahead and put these guys on on the spot and on the air. But um, like I said, I just followed my counsel, and that was just to keep quiet and just let things play out. Um, and so I think if anything I would have done differently, probably would have just uh, really got out ahead of it more so like I typically do for things instead of just sitting and letting it um, pile up. Um, but outside of that, I didn't really do much you know, um, that I would say I would do differently. I kind of just got out the way, let it take its course, you know, and just, just pray about it and, and just see it through, you know? Yeah. Um, Sydney, you had a question. Yeah. Um, with everything that's happened in the last year and all the stuff, how are you mentally, like, how was your mental health? Because 
all this happened in a pandemic and people are trying to say that you're not fit to be in the system you're in. And as the people that you're trying to protect and help and you being um, on the, res- um, you being, you know, a police officer in some sort and them doing this to you, how are you doing with all this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I've, I've really learned to be content in whatever state I find myself in, you know? And so uh, like for me, I think at, at the end of the day, my biggest thing is I really just be happy to be alive. You know, I'd be happy to be breathing. Um, I think that life is really, you know, as long as you got life, you got a chance. So really when I, whenever I wake up, I'm on a wake up list. I'm extremely excited. My health is good. Mental health, spiritual health, uh, physical health, all of that, you know? Um, so I kind of have a different perspective on things, but I, I definitely would say that, um, in the midst of it though, it was, you know, when, when I was sitting inside of the, when I sit inside of the, those cells though, um, and they were saying all these different things and you really, it's really, you know, you, you would have lost so much that you really can't refute. You can't really argue, you know, you're inside of a cell, your voice is kind of muted. Um, you're really relying on other people to try to keep you going and carry you. Um, and it wasn't so much me personally, but to, to see some of my, my loved ones kind of just really, they're just at the, at the mercy of, you know, the media and at the mercy of everything else that's going on. I'm not able to be out doing what I was supposed to do. I think that definitely, um, was motiv- motivating me in different ways to get up out of there um, and and really on my own time. Um, but then, you know, I had to put things in perspective and just say, get back to, you know, just letting get, get out the way, get myself out the way and just let God go ahead and take care of everything. And so I think, you know, just me being, you know, growing up in the church and just being like a man of faith and some of the teachings I've learned since I've been growing up, like I said, you know, as long as I'm alive, I'm really in good shape. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, forgiving others. I've, I've, I've wronged people before possibly, you know, so I can't dwell on what happened yesterday. You know, I have to stay focused on what's happening today. Miss Jada. Um, do you ever feel a little self-conscious when you go out or when you're in the public eye? Because, you know, you were put on in the spotlight in a not-so-positive way. And, you know, sometimes, you know, during those interviews, I scroll through the comments and I look at how people talk about you, like they know you, like, oh, <laughs> Jada I, would, I, would, I would get frustrated because like it's irritating for somebody to sit in the comments and have everything they have to say about somebody they don't know don't right. understand behind a screen probably miles away and it was just frustrating so do you ever get a little self-conscious um I, i'm not sure if self-conscious would be the thing but i'm definitely always aware you know i'm always like i'm always looking around my head so always on a swivel um because i'm i'm kind of I, I put myself in everybody else's shoes you know and i i i'm i look at myself as being other people that's around, like being eyes on me, you know, even after the, after the trial uh, or the, the case wrapped up last week, um, I just went out with my lady and her mom to go get some, some, uh, some food and drinks, virgin drinks um, at this, at this restaurant, you know, we sitting down there, we get ready to get the bill. And they're like, um, well, one of our managers uh, said she knew, noticed someone at the table. So, you know, we gave you a discount or whatever, you know, so it's like, I know that it's people out and about who I may not know who know me. And so it just, in my mind, I have to always make sure that I'm on point, um, in whatever space. And this is even before the situation comes, but now after the situation, maybe it's just like, I just really need to be, it, maybe I was lacking somewhere, you know? So it's like, I really need to make sure that I'm staying on point because people are watching me. You know, young people, old people, or seasoned folk, you know, everybody in between. Um, so I'm not sure it would be so much as being self-conscious, but I have to make sure I'm situationally aware 
um, about a lot and I have to pay attention to a lot because um, it's a lot of stuff going on. It's a lot of moving pieces. And so um, I try to do my, my due diligence now to really uh, take that into consideration. Yeah. So um, when you were here, I remember we were having a conversation during the social justice boot camp. And, you know, I was lecturing you a whole lot about <laughs> accessibility um, yeah, and not letting people get so close to you. Mm -hmm. um, as you're looking back on kind of some of the things that the ways that you were operating, do you think that you've changed a little bit or has it has it made you um, kind of take heed to some of the advice that you were given beforehand? Um, definitely, definitely. Um, and I'm and I and I, I remember that conversation for sure. You know, I remember us talking about you taking control of some of the bookings or you know different places I'll be traveling to and whatnot. And I I think um, definitely that's been on my on my radar a lot more because I do have to put a buffer between myself and, and other people. You know, because um, like a brother like me, I'm young in the game. You feel me? It's like I'm out hustling everybody. I'm everywhere with everybody. I know everybody. I'm doing everything. Um, and I was like, you know what, maybe I just got to play this a little bit different, you know, and, and that's kind of what I'm beginning to learn. And the situation helped me put that in perspective. Also, you know, I was I was essentially on house arrest, you know, after I got out of jail. And so it, it was a lot of a lot of my schedule was cleared up a whole lot, you know, um, in, in various ways. And so it really taught me a different regimen that I could live by, that I could be on, you know, different routines that I can do. And so I think I'm definitely getting to that point. I'm not there yet. You know, I'm still people still be calling my phone, asking me to do stuff. I still be trying to make it happen. But uh, slowly, glacially, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to get to the point where I need to be, you know. And so with with things like this, the well, with this situation that happened for you, what type of um, advice now that you are able to look back? What type of advice would you give to young people who um, are giving people way too much access to them? What would you say now? I would just say, you know, um, you know, I, I, I really, it, I, I really think that it's important to, because my mind is still there. I think it's still important to give people access. It's just about you got to be smart with how you do things, right? Um, so really, depending on what you do and the, the nature of people you're around. Uh, you just really got to be cognizant just to stay in that safety zone. You know, don't go outside of your square a lot of times. You know, you're going to have people around you that uh, want you to do certain things, might want you to say certain things, be certain ways or be certain places. And you just got to you got to know what's what's best for you. You know, you got to figure out really knowing yourself and, and saying, OK, well, this is what I want to do. This is what I want my future to look like. You know, if it doesn't align with that, you know, it just doesn't make sense for you. Um, and so mm -hmm. don't don't you know, being nice, being empathetic, trying to be understanding. Don't let those different things and those, those gifts, you know, drag you away from where you're supposed to be at, you know? So if you know, you don't need to be going somewhere. You don't need to be going with somebody. You don't need to be hanging with certain people. Just don't do it, you know, um, or figure out a smart way to do it. That's what I would say. Um, but I mean, live your life, you know, everything happened how it's supposed to. I'm a firm believer of that. So, um, Samuel. Yeah. I would, I, uh, I have another question. So when you're in a political space like the House or even the City Council, uh, how do you approach your fellow 
politicians in those spaces? Well, I mean, I just talk to them like regular folks. You he know, does. I, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I've been networking for a long time. You know, like I said, I wanted to be a spot, so I was trying to meet everybody. You know, and I talk to everybody like, like we family. Like how Jada was saying, them people online talk to you like they know you. I talk to people like I know them. You know, just in general. Um, so, uh, I, I, I really approach them just like friends. You know, like brothers, like sisters. And I think it's been very rewarding because I've gotten a chance to see people in a different light than just our, our roles and our positions and our titles. Um, and I made a lot of great friends who I pro- who are people that I probably would have never came across in my lifetime unless I had made time to have them kind of conversation. So I just, you know, say hello and then how they doing. And then next thing you know, we the best of friends. Some of them. Melissa, you've been you've been uh, quiet. So get your question ready because we ain't we ain't on no show. Yeah, I have a question. So being young in the position of power that you are, and you said you're waiting for the next generation of young people to step up. So why is it important for young people to get involved in politics and positions of power? like you are, because I know a lot of people in this generation are like, well, it doesn't have anything to do with me, but even the laws that are made so high up that trickle down into even the situation that happened with you, these things are all connected. So why is it important for younger people to get involved? Well, I mean, the future is yours, you know. Um, At some point in time, we've got it. You're gonna be the ones writing the laws. You're gonna be the ones handling business. You're gonna be the ones making all the rules, you know, uh you are the future judges the doctors you know the teachers the educators the law enforcement officials um and so we have to make sure that people are stepping up to the plate and it and with me you know i see a lot of i see a lot of more young people getting involved um because they're hungry and a lot of people fed up with this system that we have to be under we realize that it's not the system that we have to be under and so a lot of people are taking steps really active steps to to not just reform things but really revolutionize things and change them and i think that's critical you know uh, if the young people don't get involved imagine what happens when the opportunity comes and gets dropped in your lap or on your doorstep um, and you're not ready for it and so succession planning is extremely important um because sustainability is important and so we have to do a better job you know myself miss lorene this, this is one of the beautiful things about the black youth leadership project is that you all are getting a chance right now to do different things that um you all will be able to that'll really build you up for the future. And it's giving you a sense of guidance where you can reach back and help somebody else out that's coming up behind you. And that's important for us to be stewards of, of good community service, and of good community work, because if we're not mentoring you all, so when you get that torch, you're ready to run. You know, we don't want you to be confused when the opportunity comes. That's why young people have to get involved right now, make their moves before they're ready, you know, hop off the sidelines and jump right in and be hungry. So I have a a question that relates to that. So how can younger people get involved? If it is so important, how can we get involved? Well, I would just say, I mean, depending on what it is that you would like to do, I always encourage people to just reach out. When I was, I wanted to be a spy. I wanted to meet all the other people. I just reached out to them. I showed up the places they would be. And, you know, being a young person, people are ready to take you under their wings. And so, you know, with me, I, I I put somebody in a group chat with somebody in a minute, you know, yeah. put them on a, on a call with somebody in a minute and say, hey, you need to be talking to this person, um, take them under your wing, do this, do X, Y, and Z, because it's important. And so, you know, being a young person, if you see somebody that you aspire to be or they're doing something that you aspire to do, reach out to them, you know, tell them that you would like 
their help. You would like some mentorship, some guidance. And if they're, a, you know, a solid person, as we all should be, um, they'll do that. People are, are willing to wrap their arms around young people, really help lift you to uh, where you want to go and where you want to be. So I would just say as a young person, just figure out what you want to do and reach out, you know. And if you need help, I got you. Miss Lorraine got you. We all got you. You know, some of us are out here who can help you, but uh, just get started. Yeah, so we're talking to Representative Jones. Uh, it's lessons, not losses, because we really have to get back to that. And I know I thought I heard somebody who was just now speaking. Which one of y'all? Samuel? Okay, we'll so go right back. I have another question. Okay. So as a state representative of Michigan, uh, what is like your agenda? What is the things you focus on as your agenda and the things you do as a state representative? push up as a state representative and support as right. a state representative. <laughs> well, as a state representative, uh, I would definitely say, you know, I've, I've always been um, involved in economic and community development, whatever that looks like. I've always been involved in public safety, whatever that looks like. Um, and always been just involved with, you know, youth and senior services. Um, now, I would probably say right now, on my last term in my last year as a state rep, I've really dedicated um, this term to dealing with mass incarceration um, as well as financial empowerment for people in my community. And so um, those are some of the things that I've really been focused on as of late, uh, really trying to get expungement, I'm trying to clear people's records up and trying to eliminate some of these laws that just don't make sense. It's been locking our people up for a long time. And not only that, but giving them uh, opportunities. You know, we have a lot of skilled and talented folks um, in our neighborhoods um, who are extremely brilliant, who just don't have access uh, or opportunity. So I would like to give them um, a platform where they can actually benefit from some of that brilliance that they have. And they can, we can, you know, we can showcase and let other people know that this is possible, that other people are doing it, uh, who look just like you, who may live on your same block, you know. Um, and so I think that's what I, I'm really focused on now. And so as we're getting back, because I, I really think that we, we have to talk about, um, so Samuel, you were just asking him about his agenda. Now, I was watching this news story yesterday with Jada because we was trying to do a little bit of research before you got here. Um, and um, the lady kept asking you, do you know how many boats you missed? And that right. seemed to be something that she was really sticking on. Um, right. And so... <laughs> You know, they it's like they have this thing where they want to hold you responsible for your reaction to to being basically mishandled, right? right. Uh, but then they want to tell you because you were mishandled and you responded in this way, that made you miss these votes. And so you didn't represent your people. What are your constituents saying about you being missing um, all right. that time? And do they understand kind of what was going on in that moment? Yeah, you know, I think people definitely would have loved to see me there to to vote and whatnot. But, uh, you know, our people are very forgiving people, very understanding folks, and many of them have found themselves in similar positions. And even when it comes to the vote, you know, just being brutally honest, um, those votes that I missed for that time I was gone was nothing that was life. Uh, that, that if I had been there or had not been there uh, would have been a big deal. 
partisan politics in a lot of our states. Michigan is, uh, is ran in the legislature and the Senate by Republicans. And so it was no borderline votes where mm-hmm. my vote would have really impacted it. Um, and so I, I encourage people a lot of times, and I don't like getting into that all the time because I don't want to make it seem like voting isn't important um, in my role because it is definitely important. But the way that media tried to portray it um, is just ridiculous, you know, and it kind of makes a mockery of the position itself. But uh, although I wasn't there pressing the button to vote in the chamber, um, the team was still working hard on the outside, doing everything we were supposed to be doing. And I was still on the call with them, you know, just about every day, making sure business was getting handled. Um, so, you know, it's one thing uh, when people are looking at something from the surface of they understand how the machine works, how the, the government works, how the legislature works is a whole different story. Um, so, you know, my people are always good. We're still serving them. They know we're still working for them, um, even when I'm locked, you know, miles away. So. Um, we all good out here. Jada? And I have a comment leading into a question. It just felt like the way that she was like interviewing you, the way she kept like persisting that same 90 votes, but 90 votes. Like it felt, in my opinion, personal opinion, it felt like she was trying to like break your spirit because that's just how I saw it. How did you keep your spirits high in the midst of all of this? Well, I mean, like I said earlier, you know, I just, I just let God have his way. You know, sometimes you got to get out the way of a situation, you know. Um, all I know is the God of Israel when I came up in the church, you know, I, so I, I was raised in the spiritual Israel church in this army, traveled all over with, um, with the church, going to different temples. I got traveling all over the world. You know, I, I don't have to rent a car or rent a hotel, no matter where I go. If I didn't want to, you know, I don't have to pay for no meals. I can go have a home cooked meal anywhere out of town. And I've gotten all of this by, uh, serving the God of Israel and by meeting members and, and growing my spiritual family and i think through this entire situation that's really what helped carry me you know and no matter what someone says about me what, what they think about me what they do um it's not gonna change nothing i got going on you know that's something they got to deal with you know I've, I've i've gotten out the way so you know it's gonna be a lot of people like i said the prosecutor punching the air police punching the air you know i'm celebrating every single day i wake up because i'm back out here i got another chance to to do whatever i need to do to get it right you know so if people want to stay back there stay in them days Hold on to them grudges. They're just going to have to deal with that day itself, you know. So. And I really felt like the situation that you went through with the police, it kind of put into, like, perspective of, like, um, like it. how I saw it was, like, you know, it doesn't matter how high of a position that you might be in. There's When they see you, all they're really going to see is black. And I felt like your situation, as terrible as it was, it really put that perspective for a lot of people out there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And like I said, it's happening to everybody. You know, this is not unique to me. You know, it's happened to a lot of people, um, a lot of places. And so it lets us know that there's still a lot of work that needs to be done. And it can't stop just because I'm back out here and I got some tethers off my ankles and I'm clear of the courts. You know, it's a lot of other people now we got to go help get from behind the bars and get out of this system. So. so I was going to ask another question. Um, okay, just ask the question. We're running out of time. Just oh, ask the question. Oh, okay. What are your future business and personal ventures after you are, your terms are finished as a state representative? Well, I am trying to figure all that out right now. You know, it's a lot of different options. Um, it's, it's, it's so much that I can do out here. And so, I'm, you know, the same way that uh, Miss Lorene was talking about accessibility and all these different things, I'm trying to figure out what's the most comfortable way for me to operate and move and do what I would like to do. 
Um, not exactly sure if I'll still be running for office, but I'll definitely be involved in politics in a major way. Um, and I'll definitely be in the community in a major way. I'm developing and building it up the way that I know how. Um, so I'm not exactly sure what it looks like, but it's going to be a beautiful thing when it unravels. That's all I can say right now. That's dope. So listen, I know y'all keep trying to take him off of this, but I'm keep bringing him back because I think it's so important to talk about. So Jada was asking you, I mean, and Sydney was asking you about your mental health. Jada was asking you how you keep your spirits up. Um, you'd have to be blind not to see the critics and the trolls coming at you online. Right. Um, and then one of their points of contention, what happened or centered around um, your letters to uh, the troopers who uh, mishandled you. And so I was, you know, I read your letters and I, and I think you got a text from me uh, about them. Um, what was going through your mind as you had to write these, what exactly were you apologizing for? Or did you feel you owed them an apology? Well, so, I mean, you know, I I went and talked. So the, we have over our, our spiritual organization, over the church, we have a man called the King. His name's Bishop Bobby J. Davis. So I had to go to him and I'd be like, you know what, King? I was like, Bishop, they want me to write an apology letter to these guys. You know, mm -hmm. he just said real calmly, real peacefully, you know, he was like, you can do that. You know, and so I was looking for something more. But once he said that, that was just confirmation. I was like, cool, you know, let me just go ahead and, and, and crank away at it. And so when I wrote it, you know, it's almost like when somebody in the world just wants you to apologize for something you ain't do. So, um, you know, I just like, I apologize for, uh, my actions, you know, well, I really, I really, at first the letters changed. I really initially just said, I apologize for my inflammatory language, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I really just breathed on them, you know, different, uh, depending on which troop I wrote. So I breathed on them in a different way that I like something I wanted to say to them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I just wrapped it up. You know, yeah, the prosecutor I'm, looking, I'm looking at the letter and I'm going to read it to you guys and you guys can tell me what you think about his apology letter. Um, it says uh, this. I believe this is to the black one. Um, Trooper Harden. Harden, greeting you in peace and love. I pray all is well with you and yours. I'd sincerely like to apologize for my inflammatory language on April 6, 2021. And your birthday was five days later. Yes, it sure was. Yeah. OK. And actions. We black men have a hard time hard enough time in our own struggle for justice and already have enough enemies as it is to make the drastic mistake of attacking each other and adding more weight to an already unbearable load though i believe things were mishandled that day on i-96 i played a role in the fiasco no hard feelings May the grace and mercy of god of israel be multiplied upon you if you ever if you ever be it, wait, if I can ever be of assistance, do not hesitate to reach out to me directly. And you gave your phone number. Um, when you guys hear that letter, I felt because I know you, I'm like good. this guy. <laughs> it sounds good. It sounds good to me. It, sound, it sounds good, but I think. Go ahead, Jada, because you sounds know. Good. It sounded a little back in it. No hard feelings, you know. No hard feelings. Yeah. <laughs> it was just I'm just gonna say you're better than me. I would have fought the apology for a little bit because I know that some comments were like he was fighting the police with his hands behind his back. I didn't know that's how we fight now. You're a magician. Um, like, right, right, right. Okay, you fight with handcuffs. True, T. Like, right, right. No, we could do that for sure. 
but you know the the thing the thing even with these letters though really it's it's just a way to to give them some security this really when you look at the even the plea agreement wasn't a plea deal wasn't a plea bargain um and typically you would not see a plea deal looking as exhaustive as mine did you know i basically ate all the charges did the apology letters and this is just a way for the the, the circuit courts officials and the police and the prosecutor quite frankly to really cover themselves to say that uh, what what they said i did i actually did you know so they're trying to prevent mm -hmm. lawsuits different things like that so it's more of a formality than anything yes i was gonna say i'm listening to that and comprehending all that has occurred that was very humble that was that was god right there because lord <laughs> no <laughs> lord no <laughs> that was i give props to you you are a god god a fulfilled man because lord jesus that that was that was astonishing i mean yeah. to apologize after taking the charges and the plea and yes. sitting inside on house arrest and you still have you have two years of probation after right. and, yes. and still having to apologize how long did you spend in jail 60 days 60 days, days after they maced you um made a whole chemical reaction to your skin god god help the world we live in that was i i give you your props that was a very humbled apology letter and god bless those troopers because god bless what you put into this world comes back to you that's right god hit a lot harder than we do you know you so shall reap the fruit of every seed you sue that's right mm -hmm. I Denise. have uh <laughs> Janice, I'm about to take up an offering just for you. Go ahead. Go ahead, Anaya. <laughs> so I have one last question. After the incident and everything happened to you, did you see anything or anybody in a different way than you used to view people or anything? And if so, who or what? Yeah, you know, it's definitely um I'll probably say some of some some folks around me. Um, I definitely seen were a bit different. Even some of my some of my colleagues, you know, it's a lot of stuff. You know, a, a brother like me, I'm gonna hear about everything, you know, and I'm gonna see everything, you know, regardless if I, if I speak on it or not. Um, and I think many of us are like that. And so it's a lot of stuff I heard, a lot of things that I saw that um, I wouldn't say were disappointed, you know, because I mean I trust everybody to be themselves. You know, it's just a matter of time with some people, and so um, it was some people that. Um, display behaviors I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but that's just how they are, you know, and I just got to still love them anyway, you know, even the, some of the names I called out, you know, when I was on the side of that road that day, I still got to love them anyway, even though I disagree with some of the ways they handle different situations. Um, so it's just a matter of knowing people, knowing how they are and not charging into their hearts uh, when they act like themselves, you know. Mm. Another I feel like this question. Situ Ooh. Come on, Janice, Zenania. I, I feel like situations like this really kind of because I feel like all hard times always bring out a person's true colors, especially you see how they are in the midst of situations when things come into front line. You see their character and truly who they are at heart. And I feel like situations like this truly teach me that, especially when it comes to people, politics, and police officers. No matter how far you go in this world, no matter where you go, when they see me and they, and they see us and they see our skin, they see Negro. They don't see their peers. They don't see somebody that is bleeds the same as them. They see Negro. And it's also very important learning from this is learning that 
no matter who you know, matter whether what you've done for a person or not, sometimes the way you are for them and the way that the things that you'll do for them out of the goodness of your heart, it may not be reciprocated no matter what you've done or how you came to help them. People, a lot of the times, just they're just very different. And skin folk is not always skin folk. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, well, Anaya. So my question was, um, after you sent those apology letters, did anyone like get back to you on it? Or did you hear anything from the people you sent them to? Or was it just like they were gone? and They, they was gone. They was out there. The, the next I heard about it was last Thursday when the prosecutor said they weren't heartfelt. And they she thinks that I was playing around and all this other stuff. So um, I ain't heard back from nobody. I ain't got a, I ain't got no letter back in the mail. I ain't get a text. You know, I don't put my numbers out there. I ain't get no phone calls. Uh, so I just put it Were out there. Were you expecting them though? Were you expecting a phone call? I wasn't expecting nothing. Okay. You, know? I, you know me. I was just say, hey, if I can be of assistance, I'm here. You know, hopefully you don't call me, but if you just got to call me, here's my number, you know. Jada, you keep coming off mute and so does Sydney. So let me go to Sydney first and then I'll come to you. Um, mine's just mostly a statement. When I first heard about the apology letters, I mostly felt like after you you did everything they told you to do and everything that they kind of made you do, and then they were like, and you have to apologize. I'm like, oh, so he did everything you wanted them to do, and now you want them to apologize? You're just trying to embarrass him. And then they you turn it around on them. It's like, um, I'm not going to be embarrassed. I'm going to do this my way. I'm going to make sure what I say is, well, basically what I said, basically. <laughs> right. And they they're now feeling some type of way about it. And I'm all like, mm, so you don't like how it was said. You did what you wanted to do, but you wanted to feel embarrassed, but that didn't happen. So that, that was all I had to really say. I'm like, just because he wasn't embarrassed about it doesn't mean like it wasn't heartfelt. Like he right. does not, not he, you don't lie. So. <laughs> right. That's it. Yeah. You don't lie. You yeah, don't. I do my best <laughs> to tell the truth. <laughs> um, It wasn't what I had to say. wasn't really anything, you know, as much as I don't expect it to happen, you said that, you know, the police officer, the white one, especially looked a little uh, remorseful, you know, I'm, Pretty sure it probably never happened, but you know, a little checkup on you wouldn't hurt. You know, how are you doing? You know, I mean, especially after seeing those pictures, I was concerned when I saw those pictures the first time. I was like, What happened to Joel Mond? Did you see these pictures? Like, I, you know, a little checkup wouldn't hurt. You know, hey man, how are you doing? Like, outside of the position that you're placed in, police officer, state representative, like, you know, just check up on each other's people. Like, it doesn't right. hurt. It won't kill it. That's true. That's true. Well, I was mortified. I was mortified by those pictures, Joel. Um, especially, you know, being someone that's been connected to you for multiple years and kind of watching you grow. Um, those pictures were super, super concerning um, and not knowing what was going on. And I think I sent some sort of message to you and I think you replied and you told me everything was okay, but it didn't look like it was okay. Right. Um, and then, you know, you do have to worry about mental health, right? We're in a whole global pandemic. Uh, everybody's suffering in some sort of way. True. So to say that everything is okay, you do have a, a, a dog now, right? A, a, yeah, a I do have a dog. Support dog. Eden. Yes. Eden. Yeah, she's a little right. puppy. She's about to get big, though. She is huge. Anyway, so cool. it's not to say that he did not experience the things that, you know, any type of you know, turmoil during this time. It's just he had to learn to get through it. And yeah. so when we're talking about things like mental health and we're talking about checking up on one another and being very intentional with, you know, being there for each other. I remember he, your team during this whole time, they had put out 
a plea for people to come and support you and to send in videos and to send in all of these things. And I know we, I had gotten sick at that time and I didn't, but I know I put up a social post and was like, you know, what's understood never needs to be explained, you know, for for, for 10 toes down, because we've been able to get to know you as a person and anybody who has anything negative to say about a young person making mistakes and not letting those mistakes define them can just probably just jump off a bridge somewhere. Um, Because I think that we don't, we don't give our young people enough grace. Mm -hmm. We expect them to just go through life and not have, have room to make these mistakes. And when they do make the mistakes, we want to kick them out and crucify them as long as they have melanin. But when they're not melanated, we have all the grace in the world to help them figure it out and help them get back on their feet. And at that point, that's where I got to call BS because we cannot continue to do that type of thing um, and allow folks to come in and, and Jada was like, I'm about to say something, you know, like she, she would be trying to ride on social media for you. Right. I don't know if you realize that. Um, and that's why we're having this conversation because ain't nobody going to portray you as anything negative as long as we have anything to say about it. Period. That's right. Samuel. Hey, it's just a statement. Come on now. You know it. The police, they take a person to massacre the church. Like, I think it was 15, 20 people. Take him to Burger King. Come on now. Feed him. Feed him. That happened. It was, it was ridiculous. They That's they true. fed him. Took him to Burger King after he just committed a massacre. You, you or, just what's killed his a name? lot of people? You, or what's his name? Kyle right no, now. No, 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 not him. I'm talking about the other person. And then they let off some other kid for killing people saying, oh, self-defense. Uh, Kyle, Rittenhouse. Kyle, oh, Kyle Rittenhouse. Yeah. yeah we watched but that they want to crucify you, not on our watch. No, no, no. We're not doing that. We're not having it. Uh, same energy. And you ain't kill nobody. That's right. You know yeah, they tried so- to, yeah. The prosecutor actually said in court, she's like, yeah, I, she was trying to make me worse than the murderer. She like we have never seen a, something like this, not even in murder cases. I said, "Woo, okay." Look at Sam's face. <laughs> <laughs> so we just have to be clear. Um, we have to be the clear. Audacity. We have to have uh, your back, right? Um, right? We can't just leave you out here to the wolves. What'd you say, Sid? The audacity. I was gonna say the caucasity, but I don't know if she was white or not. <laughs> she was. Oh yeah, the caucasity then. <laughs> she was like. She's like, um, knowing something about his position, I don't think that he should be You're above not the laws. Does she tell that to all the other people with these white collar crimes and all these things they be doing before they give him a slap on the wrist and invite him out to the next fundraiser? Stop it. Just got to pray for him. Stop it. And so, you know, we just wanted to have you on, let you kind of clear the air um, and talk to some of these young folks who've been very concerned about you, uh, checking up on you, wanting to know more about you. And so we just thought you... What are you doing, boy? Uh, thought it would be great to just have you here and have a conversation. So thank you for taking the time out to talk to him. Or, of course, uh, of course. Yeah, you know, I appreciate <laughs> I appreciate it always. I think I think this is such a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing and a beautiful platform for the young folks too. You know, just for y'all to be able to hear y'all or get y'all voices out there and for people to be able to hear you. You know, um, and for us to just be able to watch y'all in action. I mean, I, even even Sam right now over there dancing, you know, it's, it's just it's just so beautiful just to see all of y'all unraveling. I remember seeing some of y'all a few years ago. Uh, and, you know, everybody's growing up, stretching out, becoming your person. And it's, it's just it's just great for us to see y'all grow. So I think this is wonderful. Whoever came with this idea was a fantastic idea, you know, so. 
Well, thank you. I don't know who you're pointing at, Jada. I think I have an idea. <laughs> right here? Okay. Miss Lorene herself. Good job. Good job, Mama Lorene. So, look, we've run out of time for today. We want to thank Representative Jones for joining us. We want to thank y'all who in the comments because it looked like they was speechless like Janice most of the episode. Um, they couldn't believe what they were hearing, and that's okay um, because they may add comments later. Um, so if you have comments or questions or anything and you want to get something to uh, Representative Jones, you can email us at bvboe at byop.org or you can uh, DM us on social media. Don't don't go to him because he likes to have give people access and we're not having that. Um, so if you need anything, you can DM us um, and we will get you the answers to your questions. Other than that, we're going to hit you all with the wave. We will see you back here uh, next Monday. Uh, four o'clock PST, and we're going to be talking with a school board candidate uh, for Compton School Board, Denzel O'Carry, which was a connection that Joel put me on text with, and he will be here. <laughs> Too angry and frustrated to comment today. I understand, Mama. Uh, <laughs> all love, and uh, once again, we'll see y'all next week. All right, peace and love, family. Allah.